welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at enswellpod at pearlhanmail.com. You're welcome on in indeed. Episode 3 of this little fight size series. Amazing reaction, feedback and comments. Thank you very much to one and all who have been in touch. If you've missed any or all of the previous episodes, I'll stick the link in today's notes. As always, it's my privilege and pleasure to be in your ears for this episode. Boxing is littered with fairy tale stories of accidental champs, unfortunate also runs and pretty much everything in between. Sam Eglinton's story is possibly the best of them all. He chats with me on this episode about a series of light bulb moments in a career which has gone from him being a redundant forklift driver, no interest or knowledge in boxing, to being a Midlands area champion and then on to Commonwealth champion and pretty soon after that he was a matchroom fighter catapulted onto a succession of card topping fights and title winning performances. He's entertained fans all around the world, all around the UK, all around Europe, everywhere. But yet the magnitude of these fights results never affected him and as he says here to me today, they clearly never defined him. He's without doubt one of the sport of boxing's most genuine, humble and decent fellas. It's a pleasure to welcome Birmingham's Sam Eglinton to the Fight Size Series. Ten days out from fight camp. How are you keeping, champ? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Tired. Tired, but I'm, I'm good. Hard work's nearly done. That, that's a, a prereq, isn't it, for you fellas at this stage of camp? Yeah, if you're not tired at this point, mate, you've done something wrong. We'll get into that story in a minute, Sam, but before that, uh, tell us how, how you managed to pass the time during your lockdown. Um, some people bundle their way through it, some people struggle their way through it, some people seem to power their way through it. You know, lockdown's been a bad time for some, you know, people are dying and so on and so forth, I get that. But lockdown come, couldn't come at a better time for me. I had, I had a baby in February, um, and without the lockdown... You know, I'd have been out of the house a lot. I'd have been training and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I've I had a lot of time just to sit back and watch my daughter grow, you know, and be there, you know what I mean, instead of being out of the house a lot. So it's been great for me. You know, I've sat back, I've I've done the night feed, you know, I've trained in the day. But yeah, it couldn't have come at a better time. What a wonderful distraction if you want to use it for one of a better word. I, I said a lot of the time through through lockdown, I used to, I like the pace of things. I like the way life had slowed down. I like the way, okay, we yeah. could have all done with a little bit more interaction, but the pace of it, I, I think I think we've got back to the stage now again and we're, we're trying to pass ourselves out to to just be in a hurry to do everything and not to really sit yeah. back and enjoy it and, and from what you're saying there you were able to you saw all those amazing little things at those early stages that like honestly pal it couldn't have come out a better time the first I, like we had, I had my daughter and I was scheduled to fight on the 28th of March born on the 3rd of February so the first two weeks I was I was in that the house you know I was, you know, I was getting sent pictures and videos by my girlfriend you know they sat, she's doing this she's done that uh, and then lockdown come and honestly pal I just I just went all in. I was doing night feeds, you know, I was changing. I was changing, doing bottles. I was just anything that I could do, I was doing. It's just something you won't get back. So, it, yeah, and it gives it gives you a total different outlook, doesn't it? A complete and utter. And anyone that hasn't been there can't appreciate it. When from a, especially from a fella's point of view, the girls have it together fairly early on. Anyways, us lads, I, I do tend to tell my little fella here. I think uh, through the teenage years, we're, we're very similar to chimps or apes. We we kind of just chase ourselves around and follow ourselves, follow packs around, and, and pretty much do all the things that you would see a pack of apes doing. 
but at that point in your life if it doesn't make you sit up and make something click in your head and change well then there's something wrong isn't there yeah and again it was nice just to be around the kids just constantly around the kids you know there was no school I've got three kids I've got I got a nine-year-old, I got a seven-year-old, two boys, and I've just had my daughter, obviously. Um, and it's just nice to be around the kids, you know, not caring the world. They were just bouncing off the walls, they were just playing, and it's nice to be around that, you know, instead of, you know, everyone worried about the pandemic. And it was just, yeah, it was just nice, chilled. You know, we'd get up when we wanted, well, when the baby wanted to, and you know, we'd, you know, we'd chill out, we'd, we'd go in the garden. You know, we just had the time. We had all the time in the world just to just to do the things that you don't normally would do. Yeah, yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with you there on that. I do, and and I think it, it it brought home. And and I was already pretty much learned. I had pretty much adapted and learned to live in the now beforehand. But even more so now, I'm adamant to stay in the now. And no matter what happens, because nobody knows, no one knows what's coming around the corner. But exactly. Yeah. Um, want to look look a little bit, I suppose. And part of the style that I'm trying to develop and learn here is that similar to what they do in the UFC or even in the WWE to a lesser extent every single boxer has a story every single person in boxing has a story and a path that gets them to where they are now and yeah. what they've done and what they, we don't do enough of that in boxing it's something that I think needs to be and, and allows the fans to buy into the to the fighter and to the person more so yeah. than, than the persona um, some, are decorate, yeah. some are decorated amateurs some I suppose had it all leading up and had everything their own way and then others have different stop starts yours is a different story completely again Um yeah. Up to eighteen, you turned pro at eighteen. Was that always the plan? Was that was that something that no, you? No, um, I'd quit boxing completely. Um, I had my son at seventeen. Um, I got myself a job. Uh, I was a forklift driver and I enjoyed it, pal. I'm no joke. I enjoyed it. You know, I was flying around on a forklift in a steel factory. It was, um, it was quite. You know, it was good. It was six till six. So I was working a factory. I enjoyed it. I was earning money, and then I got made redundant. Me and Craig Cunningham went to the same amateur club. Um, and obviously he was turning over, you know, and doing it all right. And I heard about the journeyman thing, and I said, "Look, Craig, I need to come speak to your trainer, manager, whatever, and see if you can do that with me." You know, I heard that they go away and they box each weekend, win, lose, or draw. You get paid. I'm all, all over that. Get me on that. Um, and he said, "Yeah, come up and have a chat." Um, and that, and I went into the gym. It was John Pegg's gym, and it's just gone from there. Really, snowboard. That was genuinely your your plan at the beginning. And honestly. Uh, it was, it was, it was. The pl- like I, said, I went away from the first fight. I thought he was four and nine Wales, but yeah, that was that was, that was exactly what I was, what I was planning to do. Looking at your story, sometimes I wonder. Growing up in Birmingham, you're surrounded by top class football clubs, the biggest of them. So maybe not all top flight, but huge clubs, huge interest, and huge passion, yeah. passionate support. You had top notch boxers around Wayne Elcock, Frankie Gavin, our own Matt Macklin. Well, yeah. we'll we'll share Matt Macklin between ourselves and the Birmingham fellas. But pro boxing really wasn't a dream for the young Sam at all. Not, not, not even, no, not even. Like, I mean, the amateur thing I only done because it separated me from my mates. You know, it's something that no one else done. You know, I done it on my own, um, and that was it. Like, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I, I wouldn't even know how to turn professional if it weren't for Craig Cunningham. Luckily enough, I, I spoke to Craig because he was doing it. He said, "Yeah, just come up and have a chat." And of course, you teamed up then with 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 the great John Pegg, who has been by your side pretty much the whole way through it. Yeah, and it's just snowboard from there. I'm a, but as a kid, I mean, I couldn't like like you just name them boxers from Birmingham. I couldn't have told you any of their names before before I turned pro. I didn't know any of them. Sometimes, and as we see with Mick Conlon now, he's just really getting to the summit of the pro game now. 
sometimes when they yeah. spend so long in that amateur setup, it takes so long for them to shake off all those amateur tricks. With you, I guess yeah. you were coming in as a blank canvas. It must have been for someone like John. It was an opportunity, I suppose, to start from the scratch. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I told I told John from the start, look, I want to be a journeyman, and he took me in for a spa. And I, the first spa was like Max Maxwell, D Mitchell was in, Terry Carruthers, and as soon as I got at the spa. The first spa I ever done with John, and John said, "I don't know about this um, journeyman thing," and I was like, "What do you mean? Like, that's what I've come here for?" And he just said, "There's probably too much fire there." I said, "Well, let's try it first before we, <laughs> before we, uh, before we just pack it in." And he went right then. So we got our first fight, and just as John said, you know, he did go tits up. Someone hit me in the face, and I went all about, I went all out to win the fight. <laughs> and so, that's. Yeah. And, and Irish and Celtic boxers here would, would fight for what they call as Celtic titles. They're the equivalent, I would think, as far as what I can make out, is, is, the, is the equivalent of the British Midland Area title, which you won in your sixth yeah, six professional fight. I know you're gone in with, a, and, and I won't say a naivety, but you're gone in with an open mind. You're gone in with a, a willingness to work, really. What you want to do is earn and provide for your young family and to keep yourself busy, which keeping busy is a trait that has been stayed with you all the way through your career but at that point less than a year I would say I think it's almost eight months in surely that was a little bit of another another little light bulb moment yeah I mean I knew I was going to get options from winning a Midlands title I knew that um, I knew that you know people move on from the Midlands you know to English you know and so on and so forth but I'd say even still at that point um it was lovely to win a bout, you know. I had to keep that bout, I've still got it at home. But I wouldn't say it flipped any switches like, you know, I, I can do something special. Um, it was just sort of, I don't really know how to explain it. And it was, you just took it in your stride, pretty much like everything else. Yeah, you took it in your stride. That's yeah. what I've done my whole career. I mean, yeah. people was talking about it just with John and just come back from uh, Liverpool. And he was saying, like, even the Malinagi fight, I was there for a big pay per view week. You know, I fought Malinagi in London and I was on the motorway Saturday the same night to going home. You okay. know, I just, I, I wish I could go back and sit back and just enjoy bit, things a bit more. Yeah. But it's, like I say, it's just work to me. It, it, it has been just work, like, that's a point I had noted here to make later on in the conversation and it's something that doesn't has never defined Sam Eglinton the biggest wins or the biggest losses has never defined you you've managed to keep that baseline all the way through and it's it's I would say it's a credit to you and it's what it, it, it's going to give you the longevity that it has already given and it makes you even more endearing I suppose to the fans especially in these times and, and I know that fans you've always had a very special hardcore group of fans who <laughs> anyone yeah. that hasn't seen them or heard them they are a particularly raucous group and they get behind you and they follow you all the way in these times it's been exasperated a little bit where they've been locked in they've been taught there was no going to be no more boxing taught it was didn't know what was coming next now all of a sudden they want to, not only are they going to get to see boxing but I would say in the UK and in this side of the this side of the ocean we're going to see meaningful fights and what better fight yeah. coming into you than yourself and Ted Cheeseman I get to that one in a few minutes Again, you would say not a light flick moment, but three years then down the line into the into the same career, you picked up the Commonwealth title and a WBC title. Now, these are all recognised titles. You're not picking up a trinket. But you're winning meaningful titles. Surely at yeah. some point along that road, there was a was there a realisation or did John say, OK, Sam, let's go, hang on. It was, it was the Vassal win, I think. I think, I mean, we had, we had um, like I said, I was, in, I was in the second prize fighter. Um, I lost in it and I thought it was a bad decision um, and Barry come backstage and said look 
I think that was a bad decision, but we'll get you on another show. And I just thought, you know, Barry Hearn's probably rocking around all the dressing rooms saying that to the lads, you know, bad decision. I'd look tonight, get you on another show. So I just, I kind of nodded in my head, I said, yeah, thanks. And then within a week, they'd rang me. I was on the big Manchester bill where Crawler was fighting Murray. Scott Kigg was defending his title, his WBA. And they put me on that in a six-rounder. I won that fight. But just to be on a card like that, it started to sink in then, like... Yeah. The realisation then that, of course, the big signing came with Matchroom, which was which was a real turning point, I would say, in your career, because the big fights came yeah. thick, thick and fast. But not only that, as you just said there a second ago... Barry Hearn doesn't do emotion. He doesn't do the. He doesn't do things for the sake of doing them. Nobody in boxing does really. You get a lot of people that will chat shit for the sake of it and stuff. But people like yeah. Barry Hearn certainly, at this point of his life, doesn't. For some reason, he's taken a shine and he's almost, for want of a better word, he's taken you under his wing. And um, that's yeah. been that's been a big point for you, hasn't it? it? Was a bit must have been a big confidence oh. grower. Honestly, pal, like I said, on the night, Barry was just you know a promoter and he was he was offering he was offering me another fight and. I, I agreed, and I thought, you know, I didn't even think maybe it wouldn't even come through. I mean, probably wouldn't even ring back. You'd probably forget by the end of the night. Um, but yeah, since you know signing with Matchroom, Barry's been there from the start. Uh, he, you know, he's took us to Vegas. He's done a training camp in Vegas. He's he's done he's done everything he can to get me the shots where they need to be and when they need to be there. Um, so I can't thank Barry enough. Um, Barry and Eddie, Matchroom. You know, they've done a lot for me. Yeah, I often refer to your path, Sam, when I'm chatting to our young Irish pros here, because there's a lot of them. And there was one I had on this week, uh, James McGivern. He's just about, he's been an absolute top-notch amateur. But as I said to him, the the momentum, the one thing I try to keep saying to him is the momentum of getting fights under your belt, staying busy and getting fights and getting wins under your belt, where you get to the point, you make yourself almost impossible to ignore. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I I always say that to John. I say, look, if if there's nothing coming up, you know, match you meant, jumped on board and you know gave me a ring and say like you're on this date I always say to John I don't care if I'm fighting in a in a in a nightclub four rounds start the bill or I'm on a pay-per-view 12 round I say just keep me active keep yeah. me doing something because I'm not that person to be around the gym if there's nothing there for me I, honestly I'm, I'm I'm either I'm either at work and I'm doing it for a reason or you very rarely see me in the gym yeah. so I always say to John, keep me active, keep me somewhat, my mind on summit. So, and John's done that for me, you know. I don't mind fighting on a local small horse show, doing six, four, eight rounds, whatever they want. And, and I'll do it for free as long as I'm boxing. And you're keeping yourself active, sharp, yeah. you're keeping yourself ready. And those big yeah. fights, as I said, those big fights came thick and fast after signing with Matchroom and, and with, yeah. with, with, um, with Barry particularly guiding you and, and, and uh, helping yourself and John plot the way. I mean, you had a, you had the reassurance of, of a team like that around you must have just galvanised everything and helped you. You went through the Bradley Skeet fights, Frankie Gavin, Malinazzi, yeah. Rodriguez, Liam Smith... If I was to pick one out of all, and it mightn't be the most glamorous one, I would say that the Glen Foot win was particularly standout, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I think if you look back at my whole career, I mean, I've had some good wins, but the cleanest clinical win, I think Glen Foot was a good a good, a good, good win. You know, the way I did it, the way I went about it, um, yeah, I think, I think that was probably one of my best. Yeah, and and at, at any point at that long at that, at that stage, the momentum was built. It was almost like it was like a rolling stone. It was even if, even a loss here and there, it didn't seem to stop you. You just you got up, you got on, you dusted yourself down. And as I said, it yeah. was so, it's it's a factor of your of your career and your personality. 
it never defines you, does it? Those big losses or those big wins, no. they just kept you centred. I've got to say, it's never been my plan. So as a child, I never thought, oh, I can't wait to be on top of the bill, pay-per-views, blah, blah, blah. I've just kind of gone with it. Like I've never had no pressure on myself because, you know, some people, it, it will it will cripple, you know, being on a pay-per-view bill, being top of the bill, because it's something they've always wanted to do. So they really want to look good when they get there. Whereas for me, it's just something I've fell into and it's a job. I'll train and I'll box the same, like I say, whether I'm on four rounds at the start of the bill or I'm at the top of a pay-per-view bill because it's just all the same to me. It's not like a life goal. I mean, the love of boxing and winning titles has kind of grew with my career as I've turned pro. Before that, it was just a job. I wouldn't like people to listen and think that he doesn't care. It's not. It's in the moment, you're in the moment and you're in it and you're there to do everything yeah. and, and all the highs and lows. Single fight, but the the wins and the losses will, will, will cripple a few people because it's all they've ever thought about. Yeah. I don't want to lose. I want a top bill. I want to win a world title. So on and so forth. And I want to do all that. I want to win. I want to win a world title. But it's like you say, don't define me. You know, I want my dad and that and that main priority. Winning titles is is definitely something that I want to do, but. If it don't happen, it don't define me, like you say. There's a lot of fighters, there's a lot of top sports people, there's a lot of business people struggle with the pressures that come. And that, that, I would say that would, people talk about natural gift and natural talent. That in itself is a talent that you really can't buy or that you can't be trained. For you to be able to zone out away from the, the pressures and the enormity of a, of a pay-per-view, another trade of yours is there's no, we, there's no tune-up fights, there's no padded fights. You're straight back out of lockdown. We're, we'll, be list, we'll be a little under two and a half months out of lockdown, straight into a top-of-the-bill fight, fight camp, match room. The, the launch, the one yeah. that's probably going to sell the rest of the shows is yourself against Ted Cheeseman. Two total different fellas who have had two total different journeys to where you're at right now. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, this is why it's so intriguing. You know, these fights probably wouldn't have been made without COVID. So the fights that people have wanted to see have had to be made now. Um, and that's why people are going to be watching them. You know, like all the undercard fights on all these fight camp show, um, shows are fights that never would have been made before. Without, without, without this pandemic yeah, I think so it's intriguing to watch um, so yeah it's the, the whole fight camp's going to be good but I think this first show I think it's a, got some really good fights us yeah, we've got some of our own Irish fighters there featuring on some of the cards as well. We'll have Eric Donovan and Zelfa Barrett. We'll have James Tennyson on. I think he's the same night as yourself, isn't he, Tennyson, against um, yeah, Cr- yeah, he is. uh, Gavin Gwynn. Um, but the one that really catches my imagination, and I'm not just saying it because you're on here as well, and, and we, we'll make you an honorary Irish fella for this podcast and everything, but <laughs> I watched Ted Cheeseman. Something yeah. that I think is lacking in boxing media is you should be able to critique somebody without being criticising them, without being scathing them, without cutting somebody and being personal about it. Yeah. I would say, I watched Cheeseman's career and from the off I would say he was one of those fellas a bit like Fowler a bit like these lads who came out with a massive buzz about them there was a lot expected of them and they've struggled really to match up to it his last fight really shocked me you're expecting a plan B you're expecting a plan C, D and E you're expecting something but it didn't happen I would say if he comes with that same plan with you he's in for a long night is he? I don't watch his last one but what I will say is I know he's gonna try and come out and box. I know he's giving it, he's giving it all this. I'm gonna come out and bully him. If he tries that, that's gonna be meat and drink for me. I'll do that all night. He's definitely gonna try and come out and box. But like, like you say, his last fight, he tried to box and he faded four or five rounds in. 
and then he, he didn't have it in the tank to to, to win the later rounds. So if he tries that again, and I feel like I feel like although Fitz is a good boxer, good fighter, he don't put heavy pressure on. He just kind of he kind of plodded forward and threw a big right, and if it didn't work out, he'd, he'd go back and and reset himself. Whereas with me, I am if I miss, I'm I'm not gonna go and reset. I'm going again. I'm going again. Yeah. I'm going again until until someone someone gives. Um, and that's that's what will be the difference in this fight. It's a different kind of pressure. It's a different kind of experience. And I would say, taking it, taking the two two of you guys pound for pound, and taking you for where you are right now, the experience of the big nights and the big big fights and the big losses, if we're being honest about it, they're all on your side right now. So you yeah. must feel. And again, with your personality, with your approach, and with your, I suppose, your life story up to now. I would say you're in that you're in the driver's seat. You're, you've got you'll have the, a lot of the support. You'll have a lot of the, the fans love behind you. How how at this stage, ten days out, it, is it a case of just getting getting through it now, using everything that you've learned in the past, or do yeah. it starts to taper I mean, down a little bit? Yeah, I mean I'm done now. All the hard work is mostly done. Um, I done my last hard spar today. You know I'll have a little sharp six round or maybe Friday. Um, but I love it's done. Um, I, I, there's not much. I, I've been ready for a while. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just it's just getting through it. I mean, there's all this lockdown thing going on as well. So next week I've got to go to London on the Tuesday and be stuck in the hotel for for, for so many days um, before fighting and having all these COVID tests. So so yeah, it's just about knuckling down, keeping the weight down, and and trying to stay sharp as sharp as you can. Well, the last thing I say to you before I let you go, and as I said, I appreciate you taking time taking time out to chat with me. But um, coming out, of, as I said, coming from it's typical boxing, isn't it? Really, we've gone from having nothing for four months to having maybe twelve cards, I think, in ten weeks or something like that. It's 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 incredible, and it's brilliant from a boxing point of view. But uh, from 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 where you've been and from where you're sitting, is it a big ordeal? Was it a big without going into the ins and outs of it? It's your own business, but negotiating the business side of it. Was it a case of just get me to fight? I don't care who it is. Or was there was Eddie? Yeah. Was was it was there much to it? Nah, I mean, I'd rang John and I'd, I heard about these back garden fights, and it was just something I was interested in. I was thinking, I mean, I know it's a big posh back garden, but look, if if fighting in someone's back garden with no one there, I'm all over that. that, that that's me down to a T. So, um, I rang John. I said, look, I heard about these matching shows. Have a word with Eddie. See if you can get me on. He said, "We'll just put a tweet out. Um, tell everyone that you're ready to go when, when, you, when you, whenever's possible, um, and we'll see what comes back." And I put a tweet out saying, "Look, when the boxing's ready, you know I'm ready. You know I've been training, so on and so forth. Whatever, whatever. Give me a date, and I'll be ready to go." Um, and within ten minutes, Eddie had rang up and said, "Look, we've got a list of opponents here. Um, do you want to pick out of these?" I said, "Yes, get me on it." Um, I was excited to jump on one of these back garden shows and to top the first one. It's just a bonus. So, yeah, so yeah I mean, I, I just wanted to, to box, really. Um, you know, matchroom are always fair with what they pay you, so it's never normally an argument. It's just like, sweet, I'll have that. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Um, and that's what we've done, yeah. I, I feel that, Sam. I feel you completely. And that I believe, I truly believe, and, and this is not just the, the, the boxing romanticist in me, I honestly believe when all this is said and done in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, I believe that this will be the show that people look back at and think, 
that was a that was one of those nights that can never ever be repeated by the climate that we're in right now in, in the world and the way things are going on but also in boxing terms nobody knows anything no one knows what's coming after these four shows and I think for you to be the launch pad for the for the first of them I think it's it's very fitting for you it's been an absolute joy to chat with you we'll send all the luck of the Irish we can your way I appreciate it man anytime I'm pretty sure anybody who listens to this episode can see hear and understand what makes Sam Eglinton so likeable, so affable, so popular amongst boxing fans. I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't have any preconceived ideas or opinions or thoughts. And I really have to say, it brightened up not only my day, brightened up the rest of the week. Whatever happens against Ted Cheeseman, we do know one thing for sure. With Sam will bring all he's got, he'll try all he knows. And if that's good enough on the night, that's good enough. It won't change him, as we heard here. It surely won't define him. I gotta give a shout out and a thanks to John at KO London PR for setting up this interview and for making it possible. To Sam for taking time out of his fight preparations and camp. And to everybody who's listened, shared, downloaded. And if you're enjoying these episodes, share them around. Spread the love. And if you're not enjoying them, don't say a word. That's it from me and them until then. Between now and the next episode, stay safe, stay sane, and smile. And remember, all's well that ends well.